You want to talk about Ted Bundy? Always and forever. Okay. That was a gross response. Yeah, a little bit. Um, That man (laughs) murdered 30 women. That we know of. That we know of. Can you... Did y'all watch the documentary? Yes. So at first I thought it was going to be boring, like a little slow. The first one, the first of four was not super engaging. Okay. I'm glad to hear you say it because I fell asleep. Yeah. Um, We watched it two and two. Okay. I watched one and then three and I was able to mostly stay awake through the three, Um, like the three remaining. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kelsey and I both have read Mm -hmm. The Stranger Beside Me. Mm Mm-hmm. I have been, I'm not going to say obsessed with Ted Bunny because that's not the word. Fascinated by. I've been fascinated by his crimes because of their relationship to Tallahassee. Exactly. So just like on that podcast that people love, My Favorite Murder, like they talk about your hometown murder stories, Mm -hmm. Ted Bundy is Tallahassee's. Exactly. There's another one, but we'll get into that some other time on our true crime podcast. Yes. What would we call it? What would we call it? Hmm. You know... (laughs) <laughs> Let's think about that for Patreon. Yeah, that'd be so fun. Um, but I, I think I've said this before. My mom wants nothing to do with Ted Bundy stories, Ted Bundy documentaries, because she lived it. Right. She lived she was how hard. Yeah. Time. She was about that age, so she finds those stories horrific. Yeah. Could you guys get over? And I know I had read this in the book. He escaped from jail twice. Yeah. Not once, but twice. Okay. And so here's what the thing. What are they doing out there in Utah? Utahans. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know any of that. Oh, snap. Because yeah. all I really know about Ted Bundy, before I watched this documentary, so all I really knew, was that he murdered a lot of women, mm-hmm. like, sexually and violently, and that part of that happened at the Cayo house at Florida State. Yes. That's all I knew. Okay. Did you know and he, so, like, defended himself in trial? Like, I, I, I did know that he represented okay. himself on trial. Okay. So I knew that, too. And okay. I knew that Zach Efron was playing him in a movie. Cannot wait. Can't wait. Very curious about that. Have some thoughts and feelings. A lot of conflicting feelings about this, honestly. But... Yeah, that's fair. I, I didn't... Mean, you should have conflicting and, feelings. And so you and Kelsey had a, a big leg up on me for yes. knowing all this history, which is perhaps maybe what made it not super engaging to start yeah. for you guys where I was like, I didn't know any of this. This yeah. is interesting, but still found the format slow. Yes. The format was slow. Um, horrifying. Truly horrifying. Um, I was, I shockingly was, evil. I, I was blown away. So a couple things. I loved that they interviewed the one woman who like escaped. Who escaped. Yeah. Like, because that story was so, gut-wrenching to me because yeah. I can totally see that happening like a cop seem like approaching yeah. you at the mall like and you think oh he's here to help me or whatever and nope and absolutely not um and then and you can see how stories and I mean not stories real life experiences like those have mm-hmm. led to our current culture yes, where women sure. are far more cautious I think than they used to be um but there Jordan was doing work in the other room mm-hmm. and even he picked up on this. Like, there's one point I think in the second episode where Ted Bundy is being interviewed. Um, I think he is out in Utah or somewhere. Mm-hmm. He's left the Northwest, and he is being held for kidnapping that woman. Yeah. And the television interview interviewer like asks him, "So are you innocent?" And he goes, 
I mean, none of us is are, innocent. Are truly innocent. And it was like he gives this long response that's answer. just like I I didn't do this, but like none of us are really innocent. Like, and it was like it that, was really bizarre. And that's a guilty part. Like, what are you yeah. doing? Like, yeah. Oh, it was awful what and I didn't, creepy. The craziest thing that I uh, the thing that I thought was craziest, other than the you know gruesome murders. Was that he starved himself in prison and then to like shimmy up to, to shimmy up like the Grinch like a like a six by six square yeah that square was super tiny so small and I made up that number it's probably like eight by eight but Whatever. like it's re- regardless small for a grown man for a grown man to get his body through yeah it's like something and I don't mean to make fun of it because it's horrifying yeah but like it's like something from a cartoon you don't think yeah. something like that would actually work no and then he escaped from jail twice, twice. and then came down. And committed more crimes. And so the thing that I was really blown away by was just how nobody seemed to know anything in the 70s. Yes. I don't understand how the 70s were a time. (laughs) It just seems like some of the lowest point in history. Because because I was baffled at, wait a minute, they didn't put two and two together. And then it said something about, there were no FBI records. And I was like, what was happening? Or that they held Bundy in Florida. Yes. For weeks, yes. without knowing that he was Ted Bundy, right, who was wanted for many murders, right, in the Pacific Northwest, yes, and they were like, mm, well, he might have done this thing in Florida, but we're not sure, yeah, because he got pulled over in Pensacola for driving a stolen car, yeah, and that's what they were holding him on before they connected him to these murders and kidnappings, right. It's bonkers. It's bonkers. Which means there wasn't even a ton of communication. And I, by the way, I don't blame law enforcement. I really no, think the it's systems the te- it's were the technology poor. of the time. But like, there wasn't much communication even between Pensacola and Tallahassee. Right. Much less Pensacola and Seattle. Or Lakeland. Yeah. Like, mm. Yeah. No, it was wild. It I was. I learned a lot. Um, I feel complicated because I think Ted Bundy is rejoicing in whatever afterlife exists. I um, thought about that same thing. Because he is a narcissist and now yes. we are all paying attention we to him. We all talk about him. And a hot young actor is playing him in a movie. Like, yeah. He loves this. He'd love it. Yep. And so I don't know how I feel about it. I wish we had something talking more about the victims yeah. and who they were. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I feel that way. I have conflicting feelings about true crime because I I, exactly. I I am fascinated by it and I appreciate the but genre. But it often glorifies the killer. Yeah, absolutely. And I, look, full disclosure, I will, I will go see that. Oh, me too, because like you, I'm fascinated but by these But that doesn't mean I don't have feelings. But it is a, it is a problematic interest. Yeah. And I'm willing to admit that. Welcome to episode 209 of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. My name is Chris Jensen, and I always have complicated opinions. And I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. It's February. My birthday month. Yeah. Yeah. By the time this comes out, it will have already passed. I always forget that. Yeah. I always think you're January, and you're not. No, real close. Real close. Okay, well... I was close. Thank you. <laughs> Happy I'll, birthday. I'll take it. <laughs> um, love is in the air. Love is in the air. That's yep. terrible. It's fine. That's fine. I'm not a good singer, everybody. It, you no, can't be good at everything. <laughs> and I'm good. I'm not good at most things, so it's fine. <laughs> I'm pretty okay at a lot of things I have a, and, yeah, and, that's right. and great at not very many. We thought we'd do this new seasonal reads thing. Exactly. So we're kicking off month two of our regular 
new feature, Seasonal Reads. Um, it's one of the most obvious, I think. Yes. Of the seasons. Love season. How do you feel about love season? Hmm. Has it changed now that you're in love? A little bit. Yeah. You feel a little less angsty about it? I've never and <laughs> I've never felt super angsty about it. I okay. know there are people who are always, always like, Singles Awareness Day! <laughs> ah, I hate couples! And I've, I've never been that kind of person. I've never resented other people for being in relationships when I was single. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Um, mostly because, like, I don't know. I'm a particularly particular person. And so, like, I knew that I was not together with anybody for a reason. And I wasn't going to yeah. uh, compromise on that. Yeah, I think... So, growing up, Valentine's Day was just something fun. Like, yeah. you know, my mom gave us little Valentine's. We get candy. And, like, Chet and I would exchange little Valentine's. Uh-huh. Like, you know, it was just fun. In elementary school, you give everybody all well, your little, right. like, Spider-Man Valentine's. Which is adorable. And you get the sweethearts, which no longer exist. They're going to exist next year. Okay, good. Yeah, it's because the company Jordan filled me in. Good. <laughs> I want to know the whole story. I read a headline. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, they're coming back. They're okay. just not here this year. Um, and if you find them, that means they're two years old, guys. Yikes. So, if you find them on the shelf, they're not from this year. Like, you didn't, like, score. Like, and the thing <laughs> is, like, very few people actually like those candies. Oh, I hate them. They I like chalk. I like the white and the orange ones. Oh, so you re- legitimately like them. I do. Um, I like them as table decor. Yeah. Stick them in a bowl. And so, you're fine on that front. Yeah. If you want to do that. But don't, don't eat them. Um... We're just we're just breaking down. I feel like somebody said we were investigative Investi- journal- investigative journalism, and I was like, that was Annie's major. That was my dream. So <laughs> so I'm so happy. Um, yeah, I had I will say in college I wasn't anti Valentine's Day, but I definitely was one of those girls who was like, ugh, this is so commercial, blah blah. Right. And then I found this really fun guy who like gave me flowers the day after Valentine's Day. Oh, Jordan, you marry him, Jordan Jones? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I feel, and now I very much. I, since Parks and Rec, like, I have celebrated Galentine's Day like mm-hmm. a boss. And so I I kind of love this season. However, when thinking about romantic reads, yeah. I discovered I am a rom-com yes. reader. Yes. I am not so much a rom reader. Yes. And the same is true of movies. So I love the rom-com. The rom is a little bit lost on me. And we've discussed previously the difference between a romantic comedy and a sex comedy. Yes. Those are very different things that are often conflated, I think, yes. at least in the 20-teens. For sure. The 20-teens was kind of the like great collapse of the rom-com because we forgot that it was something different from the sex comedy. Yes, and I am not super... I'm not... A, as you might guess. As you might guess. <laughs> I am not a fan of the um, sex comedy But either. also... The romance is different from the rom-com. Yes. So, like, I'm thinking of, for example, I lived with my in-laws for six months before I married mm-hmm. Jordan. Um, I lived in Birmingham. I lived in their basement. That is itself a rom-com. Look, it really is. I could have been one. Um, but alas. So, my mother and sister-in-law, my mother-in-law and sister-in-law, I think love the rom I keep shortening it. Is that obnoxious? They love romantic films. <laughs> they love the wrong. The <laughs> um, read-only memory? I, I love romantic comedies. So one night, I think the name of the movie is The Painted Veil, which I actually okay. think is also a book. Yeah, it's a Somerset Maugham book. Okay, I don't know that. But <laughs> but we watched... I think. I might have just made that up because I've never read that. I don't know what that is. Well, so we watched this movie. I can't even remember who's what in it. Google. Maybe Edward Norton who I do like despite being a blonde um (laughs) but we watched it and they were like captivated by it and I 
was very much not. I also laughed in the theater until I got glares at the ending of the notebook. So like I'm mm. somebody who I'm a nervous laugher. Did you was it right? That was right. Oh, that was impressive. Na- 1925 novel of the same name of the same title by W. Somerset Maugham. Oh, look at you. This I might is why you're on a book podcast. I might be pronouncing that name wrong though, That's so okay. just for the record. Um so yeah, my point being like romantic things, I think are kind of, they're not for me. Yeah. So as we approach this conversation, I just need listeners to know that my area of expertise is solidly rom-com. And my area of expertise is medieval romance. Okay. So, Li- literally. So we've got you covered. We've got you covered. And so like, maybe this is not <laughs> warranted, but like our listeners might find it interesting, a, a, a genre history of, yeah. of the romance. Go right um so romance as you might think is related to the term romantic Romantic. Uh uh-huh it's also related to rome now why oh i don't know well it's because (laughs) the roman empire controlled most of europe okay um and after the collapse of the roman empire in the fifth century the western roman empire anyway all of the different dialects of the roman language latin Evolved into languages like Spanish and French French. and those languages. Okay. Latin, though, for the next 500 years or so, was still the main language of literature and of learning and of any sort of writing. Okay. Around the 12th century, though, there is this weird renaissance or flowering of vernacular languages, of literature written in French, in Mm -hmm. Spanish, in English. There was a for whatever reason, weird outgrowth of vernacular literature in this period. Um, For more on this, check my dissertation. But (laughs) we call these romance languages because they are ultimately derived from the Roman language. Okay. And so romance as a genre, at least in the 12th century, didn't refer to really any specific sort of um, expectation or form or anything. It was just any kind of text written in a romance language. Okay. And so the medieval romance really is any literature in the... 12th century-ish and forward, not written in Latin. So it doesn't mean love story. It doesn't, but here's where that gets complicated, because the most popular stories written in these Romance languages were stories of knights and ladies. Mm. And how there's what's called the chivalry topos, um, or chivalric identity circuit, for more on this, check my dissertation, um, where, where a knight will pledge himself to a lady, and it is his pledge to the lady that enables him to do great deeds like robin hood opposite but (laughs) sure um like king arthur yeah um it is the love of the lady and the promise of the lady's love that encourages him to do the things that make him great okay and the threat of her withdrawing her love that scares him into doing good things i gotcha and so it's love love becomes this theme and then that gets watered down over the next several centuries (laughs) into just being about love yeah and so now we use the word romance to only talk about love when really it used to mean something much, 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 much broader. That's fascinating. I think that's interesting. Yeah. And that was incredibly simplified, <laughs> but it's fine. That is fine. So we're here to talk about maybe some medieval romance, maybe some rom-coms. I do want to pull, put a plug because I have talked a little bit about romance book, r- rom-com really, books on this podcast. And my friend, internet friend, Lee Kramer, is a great person to follow on Instagram if you actually want to experience your genre reading to include romance. Mm. I am not that person. Like, and I, I think most listeners know that. Like, I 
I'm gonna read occasional, but like even what was the book? I, oh, I read The Wedding Date. Remember? Yeah. And was mm-hmm. like, and you were like, whoa. <laughs> and my friend, which is hilarious because you read Fire Sermon, which is way worse. <laughs> no, Fire Sermon. There is an underlying <laughs> other themes there. There are underlying other themes, but the actual mature content is much more mature than in The Wedding Date. It is sur- super mature, but there's more there. The wedding date... It's just interesting. Yeah, the wedding date feels like, whoa, they just met and they're doing it great. Okay, so my friend Lee Kramer suggested that I am probably interested... I think she used the term... I I hope I get this right. Now I'm questioning it. Open door romance. And like there's open door romance and closed door romance. Okay. So I might be more comfortable with open door. I don't know what that means. I think it means... I hope... Gosh, I'm hoping I'm using this phrase right. Because that sounds... This is going to be a problem. But I think what it means... Gosh, I I think this is what she said. Basically, whatever the term is, whether or not it's open or closed door, the idea being you are comfortable with what can be seen with the door open, but Mm. with a a door closed, you are not interested. That makes sense. And that is absolutely true about me as a person. Um, That being said, Lee Kramer is a very diverse, well-read genre reader and probably has actual romantic books that she could recommend for you. We are not going to do that No, we're not going to do that. Um, uh, Let me just start off and and recommend probably what I think is is my favorite medieval romance. um, Available widely in translation um, by William Kibler. Um, But it is Yvain or The Night with the Lion. It's excellent. I'm not going to talk about it at length, but it's really good. It's usually collected in a book called Arthurian Romances. The original author is Chrétien de Troyes. It's beautiful. It's really, really good. Um, accessible? Yeah, super. I think super accessible. It's also about 90 pages long. Okay. And so it's a little bit like a novella. Yeah. I think it's great, and I'd love to talk about it with you. I wrote a chapter of my dissertation on it. <laughs> Listen, I think I'm just going to make my dissertation available <laughs> on Patreon. Do it. Do it, and just see. Let's just see what, yeah, what the like, people think. A- anybody can look at it. It's fine. Um, can we, I guess, kind of divide this up? Can we talk yes. about YA rom-coms? Yes, absolutely. Because they are their own animal. They are, and they, I think, might be my preferred. Yeah. I, I could be wrong that about that. also makes sense. But it makes sense based on my prudishness, mm-hmm. um, which I will not apologize for. It is what it is. Yep. Um, but I'm going to recommend a few. Obviously, to all the boys I loved before, we almost did our Valentine's Day themed around this just so I could have a Peter Kavinsky cutout. Mm-hmm. Greater Minds Prevailed, and that's not happening. Um, but that's a shame. I really do think that trilogy is so delightful, even for adults. And I've had some readers say that it's a little too juvenile. I love her innocence. Yeah. I love the main character's that's innocence. That's what makes it fun. And so I highly recommend to all the boys I've loved before. For those wondering, because I have had people ask, I think 13 and up could read that. At least the first one. I won't make a judgment on what your children read, but if people have asked me how old is appropriate, I think around 13 would be appropriate. Um, the other one I wanted to recommend is Ramona Blue and Dumplin'. Mm-hmm. Um, those are two very different stories, very different love stories, but I love uh, Julie Murphy. I think she has done really good work. I thought the movie of Dumplin' was cute, but the book is way better. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did a whole episode on Puddin', which yeah. I think is fine. But Ramona Blue is her other one that I don't think people talk about as much. She's written a couple of others, but I really did like Ramona Blue. Um, I adored the book Windfall. Yeah, I remember that. This was about um, a guy and a girl who were best friends, which is also my preferred rom-com mm-hmm. trope of choice. I want people who either hate each other at first and then love each other, or who are friends first and then fall in love. Right. Um, so Windfall is about these two childhood friends. They 
she buys him a lottery ticket because it's his 18th birthday. Mm-hmm. He wins the lottery. Chaos ensues. It's delightful and way better, dare I say, than the Nicolas Cage movie where he wins the lottery. Have you seen this? Jordan and I watched it. I don't think it. so. I think, oh, what is it called? Somebody's going to tell us. Somebody's yelling in their car right now. Right now. Um, but it's some Nicolas Cage movie. It's weird. It's like with Bridget Fonda. Is that her name? Anyway, it is. How Nicolas Cage had a career is fascinating to me. Nepotism? Really interesting dude. Anyway, Windfall is just a delight. And not to be confused with The Windfall, which came out around the same time. Right, and it's a different book. A very different book. Um, When Dimple Met Rishi, we talked about this on Love It or Loathe It. I adore this book. Two others that I just want to quickly, well, three. Um, What to Say Next, which was written by the same person who wrote Tell Me Three Things. Okay. Those books are delightful. Tell Me Three Things, if you like me, love You've Got Mail. Tell Me Three Things is wonderful, but it's like set in high school. And then What to Say Next, again, remember last week when I talked about um, when you read this, which tied yeah. romance and grief or rom-com and grief, that's what What to Say Next does as well, only for the young adult set. Excellent. All of these, by the way, I thoroughly enjoyed, which means if you are not a typical YA reader, I still think you might like them. Yeah. Um, the last one in this genre I'll recommend is Very Large, Expansive Sea. I This, to me, falls way more in the romance than it mm-hmm. does in the rom-com, but it's about a young Muslim woman. I read this toward the end of last year, I yeah, think. Yeah, I remember. And she, it's in like right after, post 9-11. She is a break dancer, which I found to be mm-hmm. delightful and yeah. interesting. Um, but this is a great uh, romantic story, realistic uh, teen romance, which is rare. That sounds great. Yeah. Um, should we talk about grown-up rom-coms? Absolutely. Okay. If you haven't done the Crazy Rich Asians trilogy... Worth doing. Yeah, I think it's worth doing. I'm going to, I think, in February, as part of this idea of seasonal reading, read the book three. Because right, I still haven't yet. Yeah, because I, I haven't gotten to it yet. But these books are books that caught me by surprise. Like, I started the Crazy Rich Asians a couple years ago, didn't really like it, picked it back up, mm-hmm. loved it, highly recommend the movie as well. I thought it was delightful. Yeah. Um, there's a book that's coming out, I think... I think in April, called The Girl He Used to Know. Okay. Um, again, more rom, less rom-com, um, which I think is why I felt eh, okay about it. Um, but it also kind of takes place, it kind of surprises you. It kind of takes place in a pre-9-11 world um, about a guy and a girl who re-fall in love. Like, mm. they kind of were in love or friendly in college, and then they kind of reconnect mm-hmm. um, after a difficult breakup. It is enjoyable. It's not the best book I've ever read, but but it surprised me. Um, the, the ending kind of ties things together in a way I wasn't expecting. Um, so the girl he used to know. Remember when I read The Arrangement? Yes. Which is about, what is it about? Not arranged marriages. No. Open marriages. Yeah, it's like about swinging or Guys, something, this right? book, <laughs> yes. I think, I don't, it is weird, but it is good. And will weirdly, if you are a married person, I think it would... If you can do it, I had a, I had a couple of married friends not be able to finish this book, so mm. no judgment. Um, and it is more R-rated than my typical mm-hmm. reading. But Knox McCoy, I think, recommended this on the podcast, and I finally was like, and my girlfriend had read it mm-hmm. in her book club, so I was like, I've just got to try this. It made me so weirdly appreciative of mm. my marriage. I really liked it. I thought it was very funny, almost like a... A commentary on culture yeah. that I thought was really interesting. Might be weird va- Valentine's Day reading, but... Yeah, maybe, but, but also maybe not. Yeah, but I really liked it. 
the wedding date, the that author just wrote a new book called The Proposal. Okay. Which I don't know if I'm going to pick up just because the wedding date was just okay for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but people, and I want to stress, just because something's not for me, right. doesn't mean it's not for you. No, that's the central conceit of our show. Yeah. <laughs> like, like you, you might love the wedding date right. and the proposal, and that is fine. Like, they just were not for me personally. Right. Um, so just keep that in mind. Our opinions are obviously our own. Right. And you may disagree. That's right. And we welcome that. Yeah. So anyway, if you read The Wedding Date and you're like, Annie, I thought you would love it. I thought I would too. And it just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you might like the proposal if you liked The Wedding Date. My go-to author in this genre is Taylor Jenkins yes. Reid. Because I think her books are incredibly thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Um, now look, I also, especially in my pre-bookshelf life, really enjoyed a Sophie Kinsella novel every now and then. They're funny and Mm -hmm. fast-paced. But Taylor Jenkins Reid kind of tackles this genre with thoughtfulness and nuance, um, but still really Mm well-read, compelling books. I liked Maybe in Another Life, uh, Life Interrupted. Um, I'm very curious about, I think it's called The Seven Wives, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. No, I'm convinced. You're confusing Many Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle with... Something else. But it is Seven Husband. It's weird. It's the same type of title. You guys will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's Taylor Jenkins Reid. I'll figure it out. She's got a new book coming out in March that I'm very excited about. Mm. Um, okay, I also wanted to talk about The Royal We, which is a book oh, yeah. I felt a mm-hmm. little bit ambivalent about. I just saw an ARC downstairs called, okay, let me see if I can get it right. I think it was Red, White, and Royal Blue. And I was like, what is this? And it's a rom-com about the first son falling in love with the Prince of Wales. And I'm very oh, intrigued. That's cute. <laughs> right. What a cute yeah. idea. So I don't know when it's coming out, but there's a heads up that if you liked the Royal We, you might want to try that. Um, I just literally, it just came across the desk yesterday and I was like, I am very huh. intrigued by this. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, read, that could be terrible. Oh, it could look, it I might not, be trash. I have not read it, um, but it sounds cute. But I think the premise is cute. And um, sometimes even if it's trash, it's great. Uh, look, there are many times when sometimes in our lives, we just need a little bit of trash and it's okay. Yep. Um, I read One Day in December, yep. which was like all the rage, partly because of Reese Witherspoon, partly I think because it took hold on Bookstagram. Look, I really liked it. I liked the first half better than the last half. Sometimes I get frustrated at characters for making decisions I would not make. Mm-hmm. And I really had a hard time rooting for people who were then married to other people, mm. if that makes sense. Like, I, I had a hard time rooting for them to be together when they had chosen mm. already. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's a fun take on kind of that one-day premise. I really liked the book One Day. I have a friend who hated that book. But I love that book when it came out because it just took this couple of people and looked at them on the same day at, on the same day of every year. So you mm. got to watch in how they evolved. Yes. And so One Day in December kind of does the That's same yeah. type of thing. So One Day is great. I think it was an Anne Hathaway movie, I want to say. I really liked it. Again, my friend hated it, so use your judgment. One Day in December, I liked. And also, it don't be confused, it's not a Christmas book. Right. Like, I definitely think it's a cozy winter read, but don't let the title make you think, I can't read this. It's February. Mm-hmm. No, I think you totally can. Um, when Katie Met Cassidy was written by the woman who wrote The Assistants. Oh, yeah. I loved The Assistants. Mm-hmm. Not, it's definitely not really a rom-com, but I loved that book. So I'm curious about When Katie Met Cassidy, but I have not read it. 
And then the last one that I want to recommend is nonfiction that I adore, and it's called I'll Have What She's Having. Yes. And it's all about Nora Ephron and her movies mm-hmm. and why rom-coms are important and what kind of writer and boss and creative mind she was. I adore it. I know. It's so good. <laughs> I bought it. Like, I, guys, <laughs> I bought the hard copy myself. <laughs> like, like, that doesn't always happen. I feel no. like in the current world I live in, I frequently borrow from the bookshelf or whatever, or read an ARC. Read an ARC. Um, but this book is so lovely, especially if you liked the Nora Ephron documentary, if you are a fan of her work. What I couldn't think of a more timely nonfiction book to pick up. That sounds either. great. And so if you're going to pick up anything yeah. of any of these, I think that's probably your highest rack. Yeah. It's just the most enjoyable because it kind of give the, gives the history of the rom-com, not the kind of history you were giving no. us. <laughs> um, but where you and I have talked about before, like mm-hmm. the rom-com has kind of disappeared. Right. It saw a little bit of a renaissance last year. Um, Did I send you that piece from, I think it was AV Club. Yeah. Yeah. Look, give me all your rom-com think pieces, everybody. Like I'm obsessed. I still, in fact, the other day I was like, you know what I haven't seen in a while? Set it up. I think it's time to rewatch that sucker. I just love that movie. So anyway. It's cute. It is really cute. So I am obsessed um, with our current world and what rom-coms are going to look like. Mm -hmm. Because I think you're right. I hope the sex comedy is kind of sort of over. It seems like it's on its way out. I did see a preview and I didn't pay close enough attention. It's a new movie coming out on February 13th with Rebel Wilson. Oh, yeah. Okay. What is it about? Okay. It's about, so it's a little bit like, what was that movie with Amy Adams, Enchanted? Yes. About, and it's like, she's the Patrick Dempsey character. Okay. She's stuck in a rom-com. Okay. Okay. And she knows that that's what it is and nobody else does. Okay, that could be I think it sounds cute. Okay. Um, I would be very, very interested for your take on it. Okay. Because it's just playing with all the conventions of the rom-com. Right. And she's like, no, I don't want this. Right. Okay. Yeah, I'd it like, looks really funny. I'd like to try it. I'll I'll try it. I think I have such true lovely feelings and generosity toward mm-hmm. rom coms that I'm a little sensitive. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So of course, I, like, I, it looks like a loving send up. Okay, because because it is it is a rom com, right? Right. Amy Poehler and oh, my beloved Paul Rudd mm-hmm. were in a movie together called like When They Met or something, and it also made fun of rom coms. And I had to stop watching it because I was like, this is mean. Oh. <laughs> Not because it was mean at rom-coms, but it was like, this isn't why I watch rom-coms. Right. I watch rom-coms for mindless right. tropes. Right. Give me all the tropes. I love I love a love triangle. I love a meet cute. In fact, sometimes around this time of year, I just start watching some episodes of The Mindy Project because it's a rom-com, at least the first two seasons. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. I could talk all day about this. Um, may your day be filled with... Roses and or a tray of chicken nuggets. Daisies. Um, Daisies. Whatever whatever you're in the mood for. And may love be in the air for you, our listener, whatever that looks like. That's right. is a production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. It's produced by me, Annie Jones, and Chris Jensen, and edited by Chris Jensen. If you're interested in purchasing any of the books we've talked about on today's episode, you can do so at bookshelfthomasville.com forward slash shop. 
Thank you so much to the band formerly known as Forlorn Strangers for the use of our theme music. It's called Bottom of the Barrel from their album Forlorn Strangers. Learn more at forlornstrangers.com. If you'd like to support From the Front Porch on Patreon and gain access to exclusive bonus content like maybe someday our true crime podcast, <laughs> podcast, not a podcast. I don't know what that is, but it sounds terrible. Check us out on patreon.com slash from the front porch. You can also check out our website at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com for web-only content and a full back catalog of our show with detailed show notes and links to further reading. This week in the bookshelf, was there a funny thing that happened? Well, you said prodcast, but I thought you said proncast. And prawn-cast. I thought it could be us just talking about shrimp. Proncast. <laughs> you know what? Yes, that's our new thing. Proncast. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>